the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sorry, new. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So the question is this, why did Paul do this? Why did he bring up these truths about salvation here? If these people were already saved, and they were, this was written to believers, then why did they need any instruction at all on salvation? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to go back to the beginning of this letter. The letter in question is the marvelous book of Ephesians. In that book, we find two of the most frequently used evangelistic verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Paul didn't write them to the lost. He wrote them to the saved. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is launching into a new series of lessons from Chapter 2 of Ephesians. It's all about the power of God in salvation. Many genuine Christ followers do not really understand how they got saved. All they know is that they have trusted in Christ for salvation for sin and submitted to His leadership but are clueless as to the actual means of their salvation. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and think about God's amazing grace and His transforming power as Pastor Steve begins our lesson. I want to draw your attention to one of the most significant passages in all of the Word of God. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as you can see, these verses contain truths that are foundational to our understanding of the Christian faith, of what it means to actually be 
a Christian, Paul tells us that prior to salvation, we were dead, dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. And that it is God, only in his mercy, who has given us spiritual life. Nothing else but God in his mercy. And that salvation, therefore, is by God's grace alone, apart from anything that we could ever do. And that our good works, and yes, there is a place for good works, but not to be saved, they flow out of our salvation. Now, what you can see then from these truths is that they actually reveal to us so many of the truths that we share with others concerning the gospel. When you evangelize others, especially Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, a number of these truths that are laid out here in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 are important verses for the gospel, to understand the gospel. But I want you to know that when Paul penned these words, he didn't write them as an evangelistic message. That was never his intent. He didn't write them for unbelievers to tell them how to be saved. Now, it's certainly appropriate to use these verses when you are witnessing. I do. I think Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is critical. I use this when I share the gospel with unsaved. But that wasn't Paul's intention. wasn't his purpose in writing out these truths. See, Paul wrote these truths not for the purpose of evangelizing the lost, but for instructing believers. These are verses of instruction. So the question is this. Why did Paul do this? Why Did he bring up these truths about salvation here? If these people were already saved, and they were, this was written to believers, then why did they need any instruction at all on salvation? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to go back to the beginning of this letter. As you'll recall, in chapter 1, Paul begins his epistle by explaining to the Ephesians that God the Father has given them certain blessings. Certain blessings. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we have been abundantly blessed because we are in Christ. But how did we get to be in Christ, identified with him? Well, the reason we are in Christ, Paul goes on to say, is because God chose us to be in Christ. And he predestined us to be his adopted sons in Christ. Verses 4 and 5, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. Before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And as a result of God's election and God's adoption, we now have been blessed with some of the most amazing spiritual realities, such as redemption, which means that we have become the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. We are the people of God, we belong to him. Verse 7, the beginning says, in him we have redemption through his blood. It was his blood that purchased us, his death. And along with redemption, we have been blessed to have our sins completely forgiven. The rest of verse 7 says this, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And his grace is abundantly Rich. Now, in explaining that God has redeemed us so that we are his people, the apostle feels that he needs to clarify this. He needs to clarify some truths about redemption because, as you'll recall, most of the Ephesians 
were Gentile pagans in their background, and Paul will later explain what wickedness went on in their lives. He knew they would have a hard time accepting the fact that they who were once so sinful and so rebellious and without hope in the world and so hardened to the truth that they actually now belong to the Lord, that they are the Lord's people on the same spiritual level with believing Jewish Christians who have grown up knowing the holy standards of God's law. That was a difficult thing for them to grasp from paganism to being God's people. So Paul makes it a point in verse 13 to stress that they, as believing Gentiles, were sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment that they believed in Christ, which means that not only do they belong to the Lord because they've been sealed, the seal was a sign of authenticity, of ownership, but also that the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives guarantees them that there is more to come in their experience in salvation. It is the down payment. He is the down payment. He is the guarantee that what you have is not all that you will have, that there is coming in the future a day when God is going to give believers new bodies, redeemed bodies, when he takes them to heaven, and redeemed bodies that are free completely, not only from the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. Notice verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, and the you also is in contrast to Jewish believers, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, that's a down payment, that there's more to come, as a pledge, a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So there is a future aspect of redemption that we've not experienced yet. Now this is what Paul has taught the Ephesians about their salvation in the opening section of this letter. He's told them about these marvelous great blessings that have come to them simply because of God being so kind. But Paul isn't content to just teach these truths. He wants to make sure that the Ephesians understand these truths. And so beginning with verse 15, Paul tells them that he's praying for them. And he's praying for them not only to grasp with their heads these truths, these doctrines, but also with their hearts, these profound doctrinal realities. Notice verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and note this, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now notice that Paul prays for a number of things. He's basically praying that you would understand what I just taught you. But notice the last thing that Paul prays concerning them is that they would understand God's great power his power towards his people. In other words, Paul wants them to understand that what he has just told them about salvation, especially about the future redemption that awaits them of their bodies, that it will happen. It's going to happen. Why? Because God's power is so great that it will overcome any obstacle to make it happen. Last time we studied this, we talked about some of these obstacles, the sin in our lives. We look at our lives and say, how can I, who is so sinful, go to heaven, actually be in the very presence of God, it will happen. We spoke about Satan and Satan trying to hinder that. We spoke about death itself 
how powerful death is. But nothing will stand in God's way. His power will overcome it all. And to prove his point, Paul proceeds now to illustrate how great God's power is. How? By pointing us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then his exaltation, the Father's exaltation of Christ to be at his right hand, ruling over everything in the universe, including the church. Verses 19 and 20. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He goes on to say, above all authority and so forth. Now, on this note then, about Christ's resurrection from the dead and his exaltation, that's where chapter 1 ends And a new chapter, which we know and we call chapter 2, begins. But we need to understand that although we have the ending of a chapter in the Bible, this is not where Paul's argument ends. Not at all. See, when Paul wrote his New Testament letters, in fact, when any of the apostles wrote their New Testament letters, there were no chapter divisions. I'm not sure if everybody knows that. Chapter divisions were added many years later, and rightfully so, to help us to to better understand God's Word. They usually come in very appropriate divisions. But sometimes, and I think this is one of those times, that a chapter ends, but the apostle's argument doesn't end, it just continues, and we have to connect what he's just said with what he is about to say. And I think this is the case, what he continues to say in the new chapter. We know that this is the case here, and I'll show you why. Look at how Paul begins chapter, what we call chapter 2. He begins with the word and, and you were. Now, Paul uses the word and, which tells us that he is referring back to something he's just said, and he's continuing to say more about it. The word for and, it's just a connecting word here. Now, What's Paul been talking about? He's been talking to the Ephesians about the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He who was once dead physically was given life and raised from the dead, exalted over everything in the universe, including the church. And then immediately Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So here's the connection. It's by the power of God that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And it is by that same power that God has brought life to our dead souls. Death and life and power, that's the connection. In other words, he's saying if you want proof that God is powerful, then all you have to do is look at yourselves. You were dead and he made you alive. So what Paul does in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, is explain to us that our salvation has come about solely by the power of God. That's the theme of this passage. That's why the instruction is given, not to evangelize, but to explain the power of God. That's why he stresses in the first few verses of this chapter what we were before our salvation. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, yet we walked but we walked according to the course of this world. That's the way of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. We were rebellious towards God. We live by the desires of our flesh, by the desires of our minds. See, if we don't understand that prior to salvation, we were dead. 
we were hostile towards God, then we will never appreciate what God has done for us in saving us. Oh, you may know some things about it, but you'll never really appreciate it. We'll never grasp this great truth that salvation is totally of the Lord. It is His doing, accomplished by His power, without any help on our part, because nothing we could ever do could bring life to our dead and rebellious souls. If we don't understand that, we will not praise God like we should. We will not appreciate our salvation like we should. And it's really because so many Christians don't understand the power of God in their salvation and the truth about what sin really is, what it does to us, and the process by which dead sinners come alive in Christ that we have so many in evangelical churches today who have Armenian leanings in their theology. Now, for those of you not familiar with the term Armenian or Arminianism, Arminianism is a system of theology named after a Dutch theologian, Jacob Arminius, And it's a belief system which has a number of beliefs in it. But among other things, it teaches that all men have free wills. Therefore, all men, they say, according to Arminianism, they say are free to choose to believe in Christ. They're free. They can do it if they want to. Now, that's not what Paul teaches. It's not what Paul teaches here in Ephesians 2. It's not what Paul teaches anywhere in the New Testament. He teaches that all men were dead, including their wills, dead in sins and trespasses, and that the only reason they turned to Christ for salvation is because God made them alive by regenerating them. That's what regeneration means. He made you alive. He saved them by faith. When he granted to them faith to believe the gospel. And he did it, why? So that he would receive the glory and not us, Notice what Paul says in verses 7 through 9. So that, here's why he did it. And here's why he did it this way. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, Paul explains, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, none of us can boast about our salvation because it was all of God's grace. How can you boast about a gift? It has nothing to do with anything we have ever done. We didn't choose Christ. He chose us. It's by his power, not ours, that he brought us to himself so that we would experience this salvation that we were chosen to experience. Now, Paul is concerned then that the Ephesians understand how God's power is demonstrated, has been demonstrated in their salvation. And so in these verses, he instructs them, note this, He instructs them on the process, the mechanism of salvation, meaning how God takes dead people, dead in sins, and he brings them eternal life. That's essentially what this is about. Having taught them in chapter 1 about salvation from God's perspective, in which he elected us to salvation in eternity past, here in chapter 2, Paul teaches them about salvation from their perspective, and by application from our perspective, so that we see how God works out this plan of salvation today, so that we experience it. Now, what I plan to do with these verses is to go through them slowly, not all tonight. We're only going to touch on this tonight, but I'm not going to rush through this. We're going to be very thorough. I'm in no hurry to rush through them. And the reason for that is because I want to make sure that we understand the doctrines that are taught here. Because these are the very doctrines, folks, that build us up in our faith. 
It's these doctrines that give us certainty, the assurance of our salvation. It's these truths that build humility in our lives because we understand from them that we had nothing to do at all with our salvation and that therefore there is no room for boasting of anything connected with becoming a Christian and that God is the one we are to boast about, we are to glorify, we are to praise, we are to thank for saving us. These are the truths that lead us to extreme gratitude to God for saving us because we understand that if he had not demonstrated his power in saving us, we would still be dead in our sins and trespasses and on our way to an eternal judgment in hell. Now, even though these verses are so important, someone may object to spending so much time studying them because they do tend to stir up controversy amongst Christians who embrace Arminian theology. There are some churches who would never even consider dealing with this, never touch on the sovereignty of God. So why teach this if it, if it causes problems? Well, simply put, it's because this isn't our word. It's the word of God. We don't have the option to pick and choose what we're going to teach. God has said all scripture is inspired by God. All of it is to be taught because it's all profitable. So it, it's God's word. We have to teach it. We have to study it. We don't have that option to pick and choose. Secondly, it's because these truths are intended to enrich our lives, to give us hope, a hope that is unshakable. I'm telling you, this is what builds the foundation of our Christian lives. This is what builds us in the faith. One Bible teacher, when asked why he taught about the sovereignty of God and salvation, said this, I know of nothing that is so strengthening to our faith, nothing which so builds my assurance, nothing which gives me such certainty about the blessed hope for which I am destined as the understanding of Christian doctrine, the understanding of the way, yes, the mechanism of salvation. Now, before we begin to look at these verses, there's something I feel that I need to clarify, and it's this. While these truths revealed in Ephesians chapter 2 are extremely important because they do help us to understand more about our salvation, we should all be aware that it isn't necessary for these truths to be accepted and believed in order for one to be saved. We need to understand that. Paul explains some of the mechanism of salvation, but it's not the plan of salvation right here. There's nothing even about the cross per se right here. See, there are many in evangelical churches who not only don't agree with the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation, but they are strongly opposed to the sovereignty of God and salvation. You bring up uh, any term associated with that and they're upset. But just because they are opposed to these truths doesn't mean that they aren't saved. Understand that. See, a person isn't saved because he understands how salvation works. He understands the process, the mechanism, the details of it. A Christian, according to the Bible, is someone who is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. They are depending upon Christ, his death on the cross for their salvation. If that's true, then we reach out our hands to them as our brother, as our sister, in Christ. Just because they have a limited understanding of how their salvation came to them doesn't mean that they haven't experienced salvation or that we have to withdraw our fellowship from them. It was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who was a staunch proclaimer and defender of the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God in salvation who said on one occasion, what an impudence it is for any of us to expel or withdraw from a fellow sinner saved by the same grace because we believe his deductions about how grace works are defective as compared with our own deductions. 
This said by a man whose preaching changed university students all throughout Wales because he preached on the sovereignty of God, the doctrines of grace. The Calvinist George Whitfield and the Arminian John Wesley disagreed sharply on this doctrine. But when Whitfield was asked if he thought he'd see Wesley in heaven, he replied, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne, and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. Even though someone disagrees with us on this doctrine, that does not mean they are not saved. This is Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us today for the start of a new series of lessons from the second chapter of Ephesians. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the pastor teacher at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can learn more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Not only can you find out more about Verse by Verse at the website, you can stream or download any of our broadcasts, including today's program. As I said, we are listener-supported. We need and appreciate the generosity of listeners like you. And we have a special page on our website to make it easy to give online. Click the Giving tab at versebyverseradio.org. You can also call us, by the way, at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff shares more about how vitally important God's power is to our salvation. is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today, have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.